2: An absolutely stunning job here. You didn't just get it over the line, you blew the doors off. <laughs>
3: it's always disappointing to lose hard-working Conservative councillors, their friends, their colleagues, and I'm so grateful to them for everything that they've done. Uh, but what I am going to carry on doing is delivering on the people's priorities. Hello and welcome to Whitehall Sources. I'm Kyla McDonald. We're recording today on Friday the 5th of May. Now you will notice that up until now we've been in your podcast feed at least... Every Thursday. The reason we weren't here with you yesterday is because it was local elections and seeing anything about politics on an election day is basically banned for reasons that nobody can quite understand. It's slightly odd about, you know, influencing votes and all of that. So we didn't want to get in trouble, we're very risk averse. And so here we are, recording on Friday, the 5th of May. And I am very pleased to say that on today's episode, we have Kirsty Buchanan, former chief of staff. No, hang on, let me do that again former director of communications for Theresa May. Hello, Kirsty.
4: I wasn't that either,
3: but uh, well, what you? You charm. <laughs> what do I normally don't think say? think you've been
4: up since 3am,
5: Callum. head oh. of the Sunday, Callum. Let
3: me do this again. Special advisor is what Queen I usually of Sunday. say. <laughs> and I'm very pleased to say that on this podcast, we have Kirsty Buchanan, former special advisor to Theresa May. Hello, Kirsty.
4: Hello, it's nice to
3: be back. <laughs> Listeners won't notice once I've edited that it took me three shots to get that right. Um, Kirsty, great to have you here. And also here, Frankie Leach, who was an advisor to Jeremy Corbyn when he was Labour leader. Hello, Frankie. Hello. Well, we've got the old band back together, which is very, very nice. Um, thank you guys for yes, being here. Yes, we do. Um, first of all, I have been up for, what time is it now? 20 past one that we're recording. I've been up since three o'clock in the morning. So that's ten hours on a few hours sleep. Now, I realise other people will be in worse conditions than me listening to this, perhaps, or even amongst us. Uh, I was down at Westminster Abbey for Times Radio this morning um, doing build-up to the coronation, and Kirsty and Frankie will testify that I was getting a bit grumpy on text because there was no breakfast <laughs> at the location that we were doing the programme from, so I've just absolutely scrammed a bit of toast. Uh, anyway, that's me, Kirsty. Welcome back. Great to have you here. How are you?
4: um, I am okay. I have had a uh, unwelcome uh sojourn second sojourn in Cancer land for the last five weeks um uh all has not gone to plan um but you know we get there slowly but surely um and I have to say for anyone that's listening to the podcast, if you can hear what sounds like a small petrol lawnmower <laughs> bubbling away next to me, apologies for that it's actually, a battery pack that's uh keeping a kind of vacuum on my uh, on my wound at the moment so it's there i don't know if you can catch that um it's most off-putting um and i feel the need to explain it in case people think i'm a bit windy (laughs) um it's it's just it's just the gentle sound of my healing
3: yeah well Um, we are here for that i'm doing okay good we're so ha- we're so glad to see you and yes you're allowed to you're allowed to keep the treatment slash healing things going that's entirely fine we'll all be okay with that um great to have you here we've missed you and frankie we've missed you too you've been on a holiday for about a million years or whatever i think weren't you you were, you were
5: <laughs> two weeks were you on which, hang to on to be a honest a in advisor land
3: were you on holiday two were you on strike i get confused about what it is that you do to avoid working <laughs>
5: what I mean, where's this anti-strike sentiment coming from you, Mr. Impartial? Uh, no, I was not on strike, although I would be if I wanted to be, um, because, as you know, I'm an ardent trade unionist and I support <laughs> the right to strike. Um, no, I was on holiday, which, I mean, a two-week holiday is, is such a luxury, but particularly, I think, for those of us who have graced the halls of Westminster, the idea that you could swan off for two weeks uninterrupted by... A, resignation, general election, general crisis is just unfathomable. (laughs) So I did go away for two weeks. I went to Italy for a week with my lovely partner, which was delightful. I was in Naples, who, by the way, have just won um, the Italian Football League (laughs) last night. And if anyone has seen the images from that celebration, it is incredible. And at some point, I would love to do a deep dive into the political analysis of working class communities and why football means so much to them. Um, But I digress, because for the latter week, I was in Jerusalem, um, which was not as exciting as Italy for obvious reasons, but I did have a a nice time and caught up with some good friends and did a little bit of work and research when I was out there. So yeah, well, good, and I'm back.
3: Well, yes, you are back, but it pains me to say, Frankie Leach, that you are back for one podcast only.
5: Imagine if this was you firing me. <laughs> surprise!
3: And with that, <laughs> it'll
5: be like that away day, that, that that away day that you told us That's about. Do right. your away
4: so that we can uh, that we can shoot
5: you politely. Yeah. Um It is. And, it's my last podcast. Yeah.
3: You've got a grown-up job. You're moving on to to other things, to very important and exciting things. It has to be said, but it's going to take you away from the podcast, which is very sad.
5: It is, yeah. That's so funny, a grown-up job. Like, what have I been doing for the last three <laughs> years? I've got the, the sad eyes of being a grown-up. Um, no, I'm very excited. I'm joining um, ActionAid, which is a wonderful organisation that is part of an international secretariat of other lots of other um, fabulous ActionAids around the world. And I'm joining the UK arm of that um, as their new head of media, which right. is wonderful. But sadly, as all kind of media professionals know and curse, you will attest to, you kind of have to stop being a talking head and sort of, you know, direct other people at being good at talking heads. So I'm, I'm waving goodbye to front facing. I'm going back back indoors, okay. as they say.
3: Well, we've got the saltbox out yeah. for you one last time. And that's, <laughs> that's good enough for us.
5: <laughs> Thank you so much. a yeah, baited place for me to share my rubbish <laughs>
3: they rubbish at all. It's so lovely to have you both here. Honestly, what a laugh. It was really, really good. Um, we will crack on. Today we are going to talk about local elections because today we're allowed to, which is a real treat. Uh, so yeah, let's get stuck into it. We just want to punch through some of the analysis on this. Clearly, we're recording at lunchtime on Friday. And so there are lots of results still to come indeed uh, really most of them, I'm just looking now, um, we've got 85 of 230 council results to talk about. But already, Kirsty, we're getting a bit of a shape of what these results are saying um, and the direction of travel, really, for this. And the analysis, really, in the face of lots of results still on the way, uh, the headline really is the Conservatives have had a really bad set of results. They could lose 1,000 seats, which would be at the really the worst the worst end of their predictions leading up to the uh, English local council elections.
4: Yeah, and and bear in mind that obviously going into uh, the elections, the Conservatives uh, did their own kind of expectation management and said, well, a really, really bad set of results would be, you know, a 1,000 seat losses, obviously kind of expecting that it would be something like 600 and 700 and they could say, well, it's not as bad as we had feared, actually, it appears at this stage of the game that they will be, at the very least, at the upper end of their uh, expectation management predictions. Uh, perhaps at the other end of the scale, Keir Starmer is saying today that this shows that Labour are on course for an outright majority. Uh, the greatest of all election gurus, Sir John Curtis, has actually said, well, hold on, steady there. Mm. It shows that Labour might be on course... Uh, to be the largest party, but I don't think you can make the claim yet that they're on on course for a majority. Now, uh, perhaps one of the reasons that, that Keir feels relatively confident about that is uh, not so much what these results are for England, but the fact that, that there are no elections in London, in Wales or in Scotland, all of which in a general election are predicted to be uh, pretty decent kind of results for Labour so it's as much perhaps about what's not happening uh, overnight and into today uh, as it is what what has happened. Mm. So uh, it is an unquestionably bad night for the conservatives. I don't think there's uh, any great surprise within uh, central office about that. But mm. I think it's also stressed to say while it's a solid result for Labour at the moment it seems to be that the results are going to anyone but the conservatives. So Liberal Democrats have had a good night. Uh, the others have had a good night. Um, you know, the Greens are doing OK. So it's it's a sort of general turn away from the Conservatives, but not... Um a headlong rush to storm labor party by any stretch
3: and i suppose on on that frankie this sort of we had uh, shabana Mahmoud on times radio this morning who's the kind of um election strategy director for for labor and um she was kind of saying exactly that you know we're we're on course now for a majority at a general election i was like well hang on a second because in order to have a majority of one you are going to need a bigger swing than blair got in 97 and I think it's, it was kind of, you know, keep your feet on the ground a little here. Um, there's always a difficulty in extrapolating from local elections to national elections anyway. What do you make of the picture of Labour as we, as we talk on lunchtime on Friday?
5: I mean, I think that what's clear is that Keir Starmer's strategy to win over former Labour voters is working. We can take that in isolation, um, particularly, you know, taking councils in places like Medway, Stoke. They've also, I think, Plymouth might be Portsmouth, yeah, Plymouth, um, as well. That terrible interview of Johnny Mercer saying they've had a terrible night all look like they're bringing back what would be considered to be former Labour Party voters who had abandoned the party in the last few years. However, what this doesn't show is that we are clearly seeing a rise in Liberal Democrat councillors. We're also seeing a rise in Green Party councillors as well, and particularly in Windsor, where Liberal Democrats took control of that council. You know, this is an an outright spanking by the Labour Party. And I hate that phrase, but that is the one to look at. We're not seeing the kind of Tony Blair levels of absolute redwashing across the country also this doesn't tell us anything about scotland and clearly scotland is a super important element of the next general election and seeing how those chips fall will really determine um, a projection for you know the next general election so labor can't be confident in saying you know we're on track to get a majority and what i would say is that as i've always said for the last few years now this is the conservatives election to lose but it's also Labour's to win and i think the strategy that might come out after these local election results, is that with Green gains and Liberal Democrat gains across the country, the Conservatives' majority will drop and Labour perhaps might be able to slide in there to be the largest party. But I don't know yet if we will see them taking that majority that they're all banging on about. Is And
3: is one of the stories here then that... As things stand, the and I've just picked this up from Sky News, that the latest national estimated vote share projection from Professor Michael Thrasher shows Labour on track to become the largest party at a general election, but falling short of an outright majority. And so there's something in that, isn't there, Kirsty, that if we consider where the polls, the national polls, were at, what, a couple of months ago, 20, 30 point lead or whatever for Labour... Is there something in here in that the Tories are improving, that they're clawing it back? Is that is that a story in in what we've got so far?
4: Uh, <laughs> I think you'd have to be the king of all spin to say that the results of last night show that, that the Conservatives are uh, <laughs> clawing it back. But and are... as a former
5: king of spin, Kirsty, you would be able to say that with some authority.
4: Well, I mean, disappointing is the word they're using today, which is the understatement of the century. But, yeah, look, I think I think we're a long way from that. There are a couple of health warnings that should always come with local election results, though, right? Yeah. One, they are local election results. You can't simply extrapolate from these into a national picture. Uh, Labour gaining Plymouth is a classic example of this. Labour gained Plymouth from the Conservatives but Johnny Mercer was highlighting the fact that the controlling Conservative Council, for reasons best only known to them, decided to cut down something like 100 trees Mm. in the city centre, I think, before they were stopped by legal action. That caused an almighty stink in the city, and that is being mostly blamed for this. I think perhaps some of the the victory for the Liberal Democrats in Windsor and Maidenhead is driven by uh, housing and planning issues as much as anything else. Now, bear in mind that the Liberal Democrats uh, love to nationally criticise the government for failing to build enough homes for the younger generation Mm. whilst fighting locally tooth and nail every single housing development in every southern seat that they can lay their hands on. And I think that was a bit of a case of that. Um, Having said that, if you look at the thrash of vote share, it puts the Conservatives between 28 and 30, Labour between 36 and 38. Liberal Democrats, look at this, 18 to 20... Mm. And others, sixteen to nineteen. Now, those last two are pretty hefty figures, and if they're anything like that, you might end up with a hung parliament, and perhaps maybe even Liberal Democrats becoming the kingmakers, if you like. And I and I doubt very much we'll see a rerun of of 2010, mm. uh, all things being uh, equal. But also, I mean, as I've said before, you know, the support for Starmer is broad, but it is shallow. There is no doubt that Starmer, um, that Sunak has stabilised the uh, the government and the conservatorship. He is personally at least narrowing, and in fact now I think on data he's shown to be a better prime minister in the eyes of the public than Starmer. So his personal ratings are improving. Mm. There has been a narrowing of the gap between the Conservatives and Labour to about 10 points from, I think, 20... Starmer did inherit, um, Sudak did inherit the most toxic legacy of any uh, Conservative leader, I think, since Thatcher. So it was always going to be an almighty mountain to climb. But again, I come back to 2017. We went into the 2017 election with a majority, with a lead of 20 points, and it all but evaporated during the campaign. So we were a year at least out from the election. It's a very long campaign. Politics is very frothy. Anything could happen.
3: Yes. Frothy
5: politics. I I also think... I was just going to say that I think that, you know, what these results might be is a bit of a wake-up call to the Conservatives, which is that their kind of stable voting base has taken an almighty rocking, which is that interest rates are going up, mortgages are being massively impacted. That kind of middle-class, middle-England, home-owning class are really suffering... At the moment, and the whole point of the Conservative Party, right, their electoral offering is for them, which is low taxes, looking after your home, looking after, you know, everything when it comes to your social status, making sure that your life is generally comfortable. Those people are really suffering at the moment, and what they might see is that they're suffering at the hands of a Conservative government. Now, if Keir Starmer walks in, I think, looking essentially pretty similar to Sunak, right, perhaps just in a red jumper at this point, (laughs) What are the Conservatives offering that is vaguely different to the Labour Party at the moment? I can't see anything, which is presumably why they go so hard on things like small boats, because they realise that if they put enough of clear water really between them and the Labour Party on things like immigration, for example, that might get them over the line. But when it comes to the economic fortunes of people who were normally Conservative voters, it doesn't seem like that much of a big leap to go over to Labour if they're offering you things like help, with your taxes, you know, less NHS waiting times, etc., etc.
3: Yeah. On that, actually, Charles Walker told Times Radio that planning and rows around planning is killing the Tories. If the Conservatives don't build homes for young people, this is a quote, if we go down that path, we won't like what we find at the end of it. If we aren't the house-building party, I don't know what we are, quite frankly. And so there are policy considerations that we can draw attention to um, that have national implications and therefore... National repercussions as well, Kirsty
4: Yeah, I mean I think the problem uh, with a very bad set of a local election results is twofold. One, obviously, it gives the momentum to the opposition and it creates a it sets in train a narrative. Mm. Now, to some certain extent, Sunak gets lucky with this because this pretty much all gets washed away tomorrow and over the weekend because of the coronation. Uh, so it won't embed in the way that it, that it might have otherwise in terms of narrative, but it has, it, there are seeds there and, it, and they might flare up again. The other problem with it is is the party begins to take a bunch of lessons from it that aren't necessarily the right ones um, and we're already seeing um, that kind of who is to blame. Now, you know, Sunak supporters will say that Sunak has steadied the ship uh, that he's doing the right things, that the the, the poll uh, gap is narrowing, and that his personal popularity is better than Starmer. All these things are true. Mm. Uh, however, you've got uh, you know a, still a majority of conservative members on the on the sort of right wing of the of the Conservative Party, and quite a, a substantial rump of the of the parliamentary party that have decided that this is Sunak's fault. And we've heard them already firing some opening salvos today, that the Conservative Democratic Organisation, which is having a conference uh, later this month, has already begun to brief against Sunak and saying, oh, well, you know, if he hadn't moved against Boris Johnson, we wouldn't be in this parlous state. Now, just to remind people that, you know, what did for Boris Johnson was Boris Johnson, and it wasn't Rishi Sunak's resignation, so much as the resignation of 63 ministers, which rendered his... A government, quite literally, mm. uh, an impossibility. Followed by, um, by any measure, a disastrous forty-nine uh, day premiership of Liz Truss, which destroyed the Conservatives' reputation for economic credibility. So uh, that is the legacy. Now, the, the difficulty that Sunak has got is because he has got such uh, a kind of, uh, you know, a, such a toxic inheritance. Some of the, you know, some of the politics is driving policies, if you like. Mm. So, you know, the small boats is a classic example of this. Small boats is driven by trying to manage your party. Uh, You know, it might be, I think it's overspun how popular it is in the quote unquote red wall seats. It goes down, I suspect, much, you know, much worse in kind of leafy southern boroughs you have had to, well, the Conservatives have had to, you know, remove their mandatory housing targets to appease leafy southern Conservative uh, shires, uh, but at the expense of annoying people who, you know, want to get on the housing ladder and can't get on the housing ladder. So you're beginning, in the, in the desperate attempt to try and, you know, put out multiple fires I'm getting to, to mix my metaphors horribly here but in attempt to put out multiple fires here you've actually got policy trying to you know po- politics driving policy so that's why we see stuff like the small boats and that's why we see you know you're trying to you know talk to two different audiences and whilst the Liberal Democrats are very good at this, uh, you know, it's a pretty hard trick to pull off in government.
3: Mm, That's a really good point. Really, really interesting. Uh, Just uh, your thoughts, by the way, very welcome. Uh, Join the conversation. How have the local elections played out where you are? And what what about what we're talking about here? Is your vote, perhaps, has it gone... One way or the other, based uh, what's it based on? Uh, I'm just wondering if this is a let's kick the Conservatives vote or a we love the Lib Dems and Labour vote, you know, if it's it's that sort of election.
4: And and here is another thing um, that I wonder whether it comes into play. Hmm. If you are a quote-unquote traditional Conservative voter, you might find Rishi Sunak quite jarring. If you are a centrist... Conservative voter, you will like Rishi Sunak and the government and the stability and the common sense and the grown uppery of it, but you may not like the substantial rump of the Conservative Party that has been driving the party now since the referendum. So actually, you know, you know, you've got those two kind sort of tensions playing out too, and you know, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know how well Rishi Sunak converts in Red Wall, and I don't know. In kind of centrist uh, southern land, you know how well that kind of loud Boris Johnson acolyte rump plays with with the shires.
2: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. One hundred percent online
1: Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com/slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com/slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
5: Can I also just give you an interesting story that's come out of the local elections? Of which is that there was a Liberal Democrat councillor who I think ran last year in Salford in the ward of Ordsall right? And he also appeared in the local elections this year on the ballot paper in the Cotswolds. And so an almighty row kicked off, which is that the Labour mayor there, Paul Dennett, wrote to the uh, Liberal Democrat group in Salford and said, how is this possible? that we've got this Liberal Democrat councillor in Salford, who's also running in the Cotswolds, and they said, oh, he's a paper candidate, don't worry about it. And obviously, for those who don't know, a paper candidate is where someone just gets put up just to stand so the party has some sort of representation and so people can vote for them, even if it's just a protest vote, and they're never likely to win. But guess what happened? He unseated... the Conservative councillor in the Cotswolds. And so he's obviously not a paper candidate and has today announced that he's resigning in Salford um, to go to the Cotswolds. Only the kind of things that happen in local elections. And I bet Salford councillor really crossed because it costs about 10 grand to run a councillor by-election, so word. interesting drama. Well,
3: it's really fascinating. This is Chris Twelves, um, who has won both, well, it could now, be, in theory, be a councillor in two locations. It is legal for someone to be a councillor for two different local authorities, as long as they don't lie on the nomination forms when they stand for election about, about where they actually live. Um, so, yeah. well
5: and that's the thing where does he live <laughs> well,
3: uh, well uh you know in order to become a councillor, they have to be registered to vote in the area or have lived worked or owned property there for at least 12 months before an election those are the rules them's the rules as um as somebody once said uh, and so yes them's the breaks. Them's the breaks. <laughs> and so paul dennett the labour mayor of salford has called on him to do the right thing and give up his seat in salford after winning the other one, which is 160 miles away. Gosh, that'd be a bit of a nightmare trying to represent both. Quite different constituencies as well, you would you would expect. Um,
5: really different. But again, I mean, that's going to really impact, I think, the reputation of the Liberal Democrats in Salford, mm. which is an interesting kind of electoral battleground anyway. And the Liberal Democrats would be really trying to make gains in Manchester as well, because obviously Manchester is like, you know, it is a Labour council. It's got one, I think, Liberal Democrat and then one defected Labour who went green and um, but the, you know manchester particularly those leafy suburbs in south manchester come general election time they will be dra- trying really hard the liberal democrats but it's little things like that yeah. in council elections that will impact their reputation and
3: it's an interesting one the whole concept of paper candidates i mean is that really serving any sort of real good democratic purpose i'm just reading in the guardian about this that in 1997 stephen twig was quote flabbergasted says the guardian to beat michael portillo in Enfield, Southgate, having agreed to stand for Labour largely on the basis that he would never win and could keep his job as General Secretary of the Fabian Society. I mean, there's a bit of a d- democratic yeah. representation thing at play with paper candidates there, is there not?
4: Which, spawned, well, it, and it spawned the... Um, 2017. For, uh, were you still up for Bordeaux? Because that result famously came in at 4am um, and was, was, was seismic. Um, I think the other thing... So, when you get kind of seismic local election results, alongside getting, you know, paper candidates who awkwardly end up being uh, elected, uh, what you do is you... I know it's an obvious point, but nonetheless, I'm going to make it anyway. You lose hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Conservative councillors, right, Mm. in this case. Um, Now, apart from creating a lot of bad feeling, what you're doing in practical terms is losing uh your bridgehead to a local ele- uh, to a general election so all those conservative councillors go out knock on doorsteps you know turn up for community events leaflet etc etc now if you have lost your council seat through what you perceive to be no fault of your own and frankly quite now who could you know, whether you're blaming Sunak or Boris and Liz Truss, mm. you know, I think it's fair to say that any Conservative councillor lost his seat last night can can blame a national picture for it pretty fairly and squarely. <laughs>
3: yeah.
4: um, you know, are you inclined to continue to go out and fight for the party in the run-up to the election? No. Whereas, you know, if you gain hundreds and hundreds of, of councillors, you know, that is where you start to get your foot soldiers who get known and visible in the area and campaign in the area, and you acquire... Local knowledge. I remember years and years ago, I think it was a by-election in Eastleigh, um, and it was a Liberal Democrat, I think, held seat. And the Conservatives' knowledge, local knowledge of Eastleigh, because I think the Conservatives had all been, councillor-wise, had all been wiped out in Eastleigh, was so bad Mm. that they were... They flooded the, 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 the constituency with every Cabinet minister going, and there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, like, Conservative helpers all drafted in to win Eastleigh... But their local knowledge was so bad that they were walking up, you know, uh, driveways um, that, you know, were like, you know, likely to vote conservative on their on their data sheets. They actually had big posters saying, you know, vote liberal Democrat or. Vote UKIP or whatever it was at the time, you know. And so you lose all your local knowledge, you lose all your campaigning foot soldiers, you lose your bridgehead. This is what Liberal Democrats do very well. They get a toehold locally and they use that as a bridgehead
5: to gain seats nationally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's also another element here, which is the financial element, which is that, you know, if Labour councillors certainly um, win seats, they then have to pay a levy to be part of the national group of... Labour Party councillors, which comes out of their council salary, which goes to the local Labour Party. So then, come general election time, there's more money in the war chest for campaigning. So there is kind of various elements that do kind of contribute to the potential next general election outcome. But as I agree with Kirsty earlier, I don't think you can kind of take a full picture from these local election results and then determine, as the Labour Party seems to be doing at the moment, the outcome of the next general election. There's so much more time and so much more to happen.
4: Just to that point, a a friend of mine is a Conservative spad sent me a a point about in her 11th year uh, as Prime Minister, uh, the Conservatives in the local elections under Margaret Thatcher uh, lost 3,000 seats in one night in a local election... She, the the party went on to win the next general election. So it is just a point about you know not running ahead mm. of yourself in terms of extrapolating local as as a read across the national.
3: Well, what about the timings on this? Because on that um wes streeting's been out and about today uh shadow health secretary of course from the labor party saying this is not a midterm election this is the end game that was the you know I, i've roughly paraphrased but those were the words he used that actually in the in the grand scheme of the run into the election it's almost getting to the point of being sooner than later frankie do you think he's he's got anything in that
5: um i don't really agree with him no and i'll tell you for why because how can you predict what politics is like at the moment? For me, politics is entirely unpredictable. And, you know, as Kirsty said before, in terms of losing loads of council seats, the Conservative Party and then going on to win a majority. I don't think at the moment the Labour Party is putting out enough policy for people to give indications on voting for them at the next general election. I think what this shows is people voting against the Conservative Party. And to be honest, for the time that they've been in, it doesn't surprise me whatsoever that people are using any kind of electoral opportunity to vote for anyone but the Conservative Party. And that's what these results show. So the idea that this is changing the fabric of elections is a nonsense. I just think it's the end of the Conservative electoral cycle, really. And it will refresh into potentially a new Conservative party. It'll do them good, I think, to go back into the opposition benches. We'll see, And uh, presumably, if they lose, Sunak will resign. But personally, I think he'd be a very good opposition politician Um, But no, and I don't think the Labour Party really knows what it wants. I mean, it's reneging on all its commitments. It said that the other day it was going to scrap its pledge um, to get rid of the fees for tuition fees to go to university. And I spoke to some friends the other day about this, which is that they seem to be chasing an older vote now, which is the kind of conservative older vote. But who in any party at the moment is offering something for the use? And I don't mean like the 16-year-olds. I mean people between... their 20s and 30s who can't afford to buy a house they're having any local development near them blocked by all of the major political parties and it's turned into political football they've got masses of debt i mean masses 40000 plus from a degree they were told they needed but are now going into a difficult job market that apparently it doesn't matter if you have one or don't. And even if you do get one, you will have seen your wages drop in real terms massively over the course of the last few years. And this isn't about politics, really. This is just about thinking about those voters, those voters grow up. So if West Streeting is looking to the future in terms of the electoral cycle changing, Are they looking to the future when it comes to their policy platform? I don't think so. And I think it really will impact them at the next general election. And if those people don't vote Labour, who will they vote for instead? Hmm. It's probably going to be Liberal Democrat or Green, right? So this is what I mean in terms of Labour just thinks it's going to get this stonking majority because they think it's inevitable that the Conservative Party is going to lose. Frankly, I think we might be in the territory of a hung parliament and I don't know why they're being so confident about it.
3: Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the projection right now, as I say, lunchtime on Friday is that if you know to zoom out to a national picture it could be exactly that a hung parliament and i actually remember this time last year doing the uh, local election night coverage um, with adam bolton formerly sky news political editor um uh, now of times radio and elsewhere as well and he i believe i think i'm right in saying was the first to say overnight on that program about maybe half past 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning he as far as i could make out was the first person to use the words hung parliament He looked at the results and he said, this is pointing to a hung parliament at the next general election. That was 12 months ago. If we're in that territory again now, I don't know, maybe it's becoming a bit more of a sure thing. Um, Kirsty, we've got a few minutes left. Let's kind of project a bit from here then. As you said earlier, coronation weekend might dilute the impact of these um, local election results, certainly in the short term. Is there strategizing to be done in the aftermath of a local election like this to sort of build and ramp up towards a general election. What ha- what happens next?
4: Uh well, t- two things will happen. Um one, obviously this will give uh more grist to the uh right-wing rump of the Conservative Party to start their uh to restart their grumbling against Sunak and try and you know, the question is whose losses are these if you like? Um, and they will try and lay these at the door of Sunak. Now, uh, my own personal view is uh, I think these are the losses of uh, the accumulated destruction of the Tory brand from last year um, and that Sunak has uh, righted the ship. But, you know, what I think doesn't matter here is what (laughs) happens within the Conservative Party. And one thing I do know for sure is if that starts up again, uh, one thing that is really a turn-off... Uh, for voters is uh, a lack of unity within a governing party. So, if they definitely want to hand Labour victory, they should, you know, they should carry on in the in the vein that they've started this morning by trying to reopen the wounds of of last year and take the fight to Sunak. Uh, mm. My own personal view is unfairly. So, I think, uh, you know, I think that's one point. The other point is. Um, you know, whilst we're a long way out, and I think uh, Stalmer's predictions are uh, a little premature and rather optimistic on the basis of these results so far, uh, you know, we do have, you know, five priorities, uh, people's priorities from the SUNAT government, which are, um, you know, in one sense quite, you know, short, sharp and easy to remember, but in another sense incredibly vague. <laughs> Uh, and I think fundamentally, you know, so you know, uh, an economy that is growing, you know, NHS waiting lists that are falling. Okay, fine, but falling by what? Growing by what? And ultimately, I think what next election will boil down to is a feeling amongst people. So I've no doubt that probably, you know, by next year, you know, the Conservatives will say, you know, uh, you know, NHS waiting lists have fallen from seven point two million to You know, six million in a year and are on course to be X, Y, and Z by, you know, the economy has grown by 1% last year and inflation has fallen from 10%. Okay, fine. Mm. I don't think any of that fundamentally matters if people still feel like they feel now that they feel that the cost of their weekly shop has gone through the roof, that they can't get a GP appointment, that, you know, antisocial behaviour is a real problem for them again. that you know that there's the, the number of kids in their classes at schools is beginning to creep up again. If people don't feel any of the conversion, you can point to all the facts you like, but delivery won't be about the facts. It'll be about how people's real lived experience on the ground feels, and that is an almighty challenge between now and next year to go. Do you know what? Yes, I do feel that the economy is on the up and up again. Yeah. I do feel that the cost of living crisis is over, and I feel financially much better off. You know, I do feel confident that I can access my health service when I need it. I just, it seems like an extraordinary uh, mountain to climb between now and next year for me.
3: And Frankie, same question, just on strategy. And I saw you nodding along there with with what Kirsty was saying. I think there is a theme emerging here. um, And it's, it's kind of emerged a bit in the last few pods as well, which is about, you have to make this real. You have to make these promises, these pledges, you know, the manifesto stuff, you have to make it feel like it's a real life thing with a real life impact that is tangible and applies to me. So is that is that a challenge for Keir Starmer as well? Are they, are they both kind of, you know, on the same, on the same um, strategy here?
5: I think so. I think the problem is for the Labour Party is that, as I've said, they're banking on a strategy that essentially just looks like, well, we're not the other guys. That's what it feels like. It feels like we're not putting forward any kind of inspiring policy platform. I mean, the only thing that I can remember off the top of my head that came out, which looked good, was the stuff on childcare in terms of what would matter to me as a voter. And I think the problem is, is that when we see this new manifesto, I get the inclination that it's going to be very heavy on business. Now, obviously, business is important. And I do think business owners are really struggling at the moment but in terms of what is being tangibly offered life-changing policies in the way that tony blair was offering life-changing policies when they needed to pull out a result out of the bag that was astronomical. They went hard on what they were offering. Things like, you know, sure start. You know, Tony Blair, in terms of his policy, he's not a politician that I like or have any interest in. But you can recognise that they were offering something radical, right? It was something new. And is Keir Starmer offering a radical alternative to the Conservative Party right now? I don't think so. And this is the problem, is that if voters on the whole right are swing voters, and they're offered something that isn't radically different, you're kind of just leaving it up to chance, right, seeing where they'll go. And I think, you know, parties like the Greens and the Liberal Democrats may hoover up a lot of votes if they offer something radically different. And if, you know, Rishi Sunak is able to put clear distance between him and care in terms of offering more radical alternatives, whether it be on things like tax... Or immigration, I think they will be in trouble.
3: He also has the, I suppose Rishi Sunak also has an advantage here in that he has the ability to make it real. Whereas you have to trust Keir Starmer, don't you, to to deliver on things?
5: Yeah. And a lot of the polling that's coming out, and this isn't me being bitter, you know, James Johnson, who used to be head of polling um, and number 10, who worked with Kirstie, has been saying this as well, which is that Keir Starmer reversing his. Pledges is not a good look because it is giving off the impression, quite rightly, that he is untrustworthy, that he changes his minds, And it also puts the idea in people's heads that he's a liar. And that's a hard reputation to shake. And Rishi Sunak is not a liar. He's doing exactly what he said he would always do. His platform to get onto, you know, the pri- to be the Prime Minister of Britain has stayed the same, whereas Keir starmer has radically changed. Now, I don't know what that will do to his electoral fortunes in terms of Labour Party voters. Obviously, lots of people are leaving the Labour Party. But if you're a swing voter and you're looking to trust a politician, he's not giving off the impression that he's trustworthy. And when you pair that with a not very exciting, um, you know, policy platform, is the Labour Party all fur and no knickers right now? Probably. <laughs>
3: Well, there we are. (laughs) Frankie Leach, everyone. I mean,
5: I'm I'm sorry. That's
3: my fault. Well, no, but thank (laughs) you so much, Frankie, for everything. This
5: has been played at all of my grandparents' funerals. Oh, no. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I feel like I'm allowed to be cremated. I was literally... my Mine too, actually. My (laughs) grandmother... Oh,
4: God. As they whisked my, my grandmother off to her you know, fiery end. That's exactly what they played. Oh, gosh. I oh, yeah. was uh, literally
5: at a family funeral where they played this last week, Callum. Oh,
3: no. I really apologise. <laughs> I just thought it was the most appropriate song to, to thank you for being on the podcast. It's like um, a classic funeral song. What were you thinking? I didn't know it was a... I didn't know it was a, cla- <laughs> it was a classic <laughs> okay, funeral
5: done <John> Oh. <gasps> Have you ever been to a funeral? Ever?
3: Yeah, I have, but that's never been sung. Normally you sing sort of hymns or whatever, psalms or things. You don't sing... Um, oh, my God. You don't sing Andrea Bajelli. <laughs> Right, okay. Well, well, we're not
4: singing it, by the way. You know, <laughs> no, this is not. We're not all giving it a dime. Do uh, No, it's not that. It, it, it plays out as the as the coffin goes. As the into coffin it, goes in the thing. As it goes into the little curtains to its fiery end. That's I know. What we play.
5: That's always what it reminds me of. Watching my, I hadn't really. When I was like seven, registered that you know my granddad had died until that song came on and everybody started crying and I saw the coffin like going behind the curtains and I was like. Oh no, that's it. He's no. he's not coming back now. So thank you very much, Callum. Um, just to assure listeners, I'm not dead. Um, I will, be, I'll be around. Well, but thanks, Callum.
3: Um, right. Well, it's good. It's good that your time on the podcast is ending with it being just as well produced as it started uh, when you joined. Um, but seriously, Frankie, thank you. And <laughs> thank you for being on the podcast. And good luck in the next chapter with your grown-up job. We appreciate thanks it. Thanks so for everything.
5: so much. I'm still trying to save the world. So <laughs> I'll let you know how I get on. Yeah, keep us posted.
3: <laughs> let us know. Uh, and Kirsty Buchanan. Kirsty, thank you so much. What a real treat to have you on this week. And we will have you on as much as is possible in the next little spell as well. So thank you. Thanks for making the time. And thanks for lending us your brain. We bloomin' love it. <laughs>
4: brain's about the only bit that's working properly
3: at the moment well thank goodness that it is we really appreciate it Uh, Kirsty Buchanan and Frankie Leach if you've got any messages for either of them or questions or your hot takes you can email hello at whitehallsources.com we always love to hear from you we will be back next Thursday we're back on routine there's no elections to knock us off our usual so we'll speak to you uh, next Thursday make sure you follow and subscribe to make sure you get the next episode of the podcast thank you so much talk to you then